Let's pray, guys. Father God, I just come before you, Lord, this morning. I just want to thank you, Lord, that we just had a few minutes, God, together all over uh, our little area and different places all over the country, God, just to come together in your name and to worship you, Father, and just to seek your face. I pray, Lord, right now that you would just change the atmosphere, God, right here in this moment, Father God, wherever people are, whether in their car, riding down the road, if they're at their small group, God, if they're in a barn or a business or in their house, if they're still laying in their bed by themselves, Father, I pray, Lord, right here, right now, God, just let your Holy Spirit take over this moment, God, that you would just consume us, uh, let this word, God, just pierce our hearts, change us, humble us, God, transform us, uh, Father, from glory to glory, from nature to nature, into your image, I pray, Lord, that you you would just have your way. Let your will be done, God, in every way in your name. Amen. Hope you guys are doing good. I know that you just enjoyed some amazing worship, and I pray uh, that even though we're at home, even though we're together uh, in small groups or with our family, even if we're laying in bed, that you take that opportunity every single week to just worship God right there where you are. Not just to watch the TV or watch the phone or watch the tablet, but to just stop to close your eyes, lift up your hands, just like we're all here together in worship God. That's what I hope is happening, and I believe that is happening. But I would love for you, if that is happening, if you love the worship that you experience every single weekend uh, coming out of Pursuit Church, would you take a second and just throw up some flames down in the comments? Would you just uh, put some praise hands emojis, or would you just maybe like a normal older person just say, I really enjoyed that, if you don't know what an emoji is. Uh, I want you to understand that, that this place we're in, right here, right now, I believe that this moment is owned by God. God wasn't taken back by this. He knew we would be here. I know there's so many issues and so many things going on and divisions in our country and there's struggles and churches are fighting about masks and not wearing masks and when to meet back together. But here's the truth. Here's the reality is we serve an all-powerful, sovereign, good God, who is absolutely 100% in control of this moment. And because of that, because of my trust for him, our trust for him, we know that God's got something ordained for this very message, for this very day. And it doesn't matter if we're all together here. It doesn't matter uh, if we're watching this even days later. All I know is that my God is so good, so strong, and so powerful. He created the universe. And what is this one moment, this one season, this corona thing, this political issues, this economic stuff. This is nothing for our God. And so I just want to make sure that we don't forget that, that we don't get lost in that, that we know that right here, right, we may not have planned on being here. We may not have planned on doing church this way right here today, but God knew about it from the foundations of the earth. God's been preparing us in our hearts, in our minds, not just our church, but his church, the big C church, God's church from day one, based off a promise that Jesus Christ made. He said, I will be the one who builds my church. And when I build my church, it will be so strong. Uh, it will move so fast that not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. That's the God we serve. And that's what I believe about this moment. This isn't just a moment. This isn't just a religious act of duty. This is a second in time where God has ordained the Holy Spirit to change our lives that much more into the image of Jesus Christ. And that just gets me excited. I'm pumped. If you have your Bibles, and turn to Mark 10. We're going to continue uh, in our conversation about humility. And I must say this again, as I have every single week, this series has been one of my favorites, uh, but it has been one of the most difficult ones uh, to preach and to teach through. Uh, but I'm loving every second of it because I believe that the Lord is changing us and teaching us. Uh, and I want to I go a little bit deeper this morning, Mark 10, 35. 
And uh, while, you're, while you're flipping there, I want to I reiterate something, remind us of something from last week. Uh, so we, we, we talked last week about the, the reality of how God views pride and how God handles pride in our lives. Uh, and he handles it by killing it. He opposes the pride inside of us. He's not okay with it being there. Uh, he loves us so much uh, that he will never stop humbling us uh, until we are walking in true, full humidity. Uh, humidity. <laughs> humility. Uh, <and laughs> let's just take a second to laugh at that because I'm not going to be overcover. That's funny. I just said humidity. You're sitting at home. The staff is here laughing. I just want you to understand that you didn't hear that. I don't want you to get lost in that. I said humidity. I meant humility, all right? It is funny that I would mess up the word humility uh, in the middle of a message so that I could stop and be humbled even in this moment. That's the goodness of our God. You may not be able to hear it, but our staff is in this room losing their minds laughing. That's the God that we serve. But God wants to uh, humble us for our own good. He, he's never going to stop. And, and part of the, the questions that we got, we got through the comments, and we love when you guys leave questions in the comments or statements, or even, you know, there's people that were saying, hey, he just said something that uh, confused me a little bit. Usually I'll answer it by the end of the message, but go ahead and just put that in. There's nothing wrong with that. Send us an email. We love to hear from you guys. But one of the things that, that we got several things at the end of the message last week, I got some of my personal stuff, was people saying, hey, listen, I got the point of the message, okay? I, I can't humble myself uh, as much as just respond to God humbling me. So what does that look like in real life? What does that, that, that feel like in day-to-day in -day life? Uh, and I want, to, I want to just cover that this morning. I want to go into that because like so many of you guys, even though I'm the one that preached it last week, I definitely haven't learned all of that in my life. And I'm, I'm hungry. I, I want to be humbled. I want to walk in that. I want to get to that place in my relationship with Jesus. So I'm just as hungry uh, for that answer to that question as you are. And I want to look at that this morning. Morning. But before I look in, we look at how God humbles us from a practical standpoint, I think that we really have to understand uh, the pride aspect of our life. Because if, if humbling us is crushing the pride in, in many ways, then we really need to understand what pride is, how it works, and how it moves about in our life to drive us in certain directions. Uh, and, and that's what I want to look at. And I, and I want to read you this, just a few sentences out of Mark 10. Starting with verse 35, and then I'm going to tell you just a little quick story. This is what it says. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, talking to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. And verse 41, and throughout the rest of that conversation, Jesus goes on to teach a very powerful lesson about what it is to be great in the kingdom of heaven and in a relationship with Jesus. And we might come back to that through the course of the series. But I, I want us to just look at, and the only word I can really come to, and I'm just being honest, and it's going to sound 
uh, dramatic. It's going to sound like an exaggeration potentially of the truth, but there's only one word to really describe where James and John have gotten to in their life, in their relationship with Jesus, and just in life in general, and that is absolute state of delusion. All right, I, I want to I I take a step back, and I wanna, if you don't know who James and John are, I want to remind you really fast. James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee was a fisherman. He owned a fishing business. Uh, they weren't rich. They weren't great in any way, shape, or form. They were just modest fishing family. Uh, James and John uh, grew up together uh, running and helping their father run the fishing business. Had Jesus not uh, come into their life and called them into ministry and called them to be a disciple, uh, they would have, in the end, inherited the fishing business, and that's what they would have been. They would have been fishermen for the rest of their life. They would have uh, died being fishermen. That, that's who they are. Uh, they're nobody, you know, in, in, in a social status, uh, from a wealth standpoint, from a government political power standpoint. James and John, uh, they, were, they were not on anybody's scale. They were just normal, everyday people like you and me. Uh, and, 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 and it's important that we really understand the starting point, like, it really is, because in a minute, I'm, I'm going to clarify what the ending point is, where they believed they were going to wind up in life, and I, and I just want to look at the, the, the huge differences. So you've got these two, these two brothers, James and John, uh, who were modest fishermen at best. Now, in just a few short years, they've come to Jesus, and they're asking Jesus, to sit at his right and at his left side when he enters in and becomes king of the universe. So I, I, I want to step back. I just want to be real serious for a minute, real serious, but it's going to sound like I'm being funny, but it's going to be real serious. Uh, James and John, the fishermen, believed on some level. They got to a place in their life where they believed that they were entitled to be the second most powerful beings in the universe, second only to Jesus Second only to God. Now, I, 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 wanna, I just want to reiterate this one more time because I, I, you, I don't want you to miss this because this, this, is, this is big for me. This is a huge thing for me that these fishermen within just a few short years were convinced that they deserved, were worthy of, uh, and hungered for the most powerful positions in the universe second only to Jesus Christ himself. Now, that, that is delusion. That's delusion. How does fishermen from a modest family who, not even business owners, they, they didn't have any education. Jesus even describes them as, as he's taken the foolish to confound the wise. Uh, he, they, he goes over and over and over again how he, he picked from the bottom of the bar barrel socially, that is. What took place in their life? What happened in their life that these fishermen became convinced that they not only desired and hungered for the second most powerful positions in the world, but they actually believed on some level they were entitled to it and had an expectation and were worthy of it and really believed or they never would have asked that Jesus would actually give them the right and the left, that, that, that Jesus would actually elevate them up to be the second most powerful people in the universe. 
verse. That right there is a journey of delusion for two fishermen to be convinced that they're going to go sit at a place like that and then have the guts to actually bring this to Jesus and ask. So I want to say up front, if you haven't already figured out, this is the work of pride in their life. Deep, dark, seated pride. And I want to look at the behind the scenes really fast. I want to look at the things that pride does that would change a fisherman who's going to inherit their father's fishing business to two people who believed in, that they were worthy of, desired for, and entitled to, and expected to be the second most powerful people on the planet. I want to look at how pride does that to our life because this is the truth. Pride does this to all of us constantly all the time. One of the greatest difficulties about pride is that pride plays out in our life in so many different ways. It could play out in my life dramatically different than it plays out in your life. If you go through and you read Genesis to Revelation, you'll see that the way that pride played out in Nebuchadnezzar's life was dramatically different than the way that pride played out in Uzziah's life. It was dramatically different than the way that pride played out with Satan. It was dramatically different than the way pride played out with Eve. It was dramatically different than the way pride even played out with Joseph, uh, the coat of many colors, when he was younger working up to this place. If you go through and you see the amount of times pride and humility come up, the end game and what it looks like and what it feels like and the desires of the heart and the mind and what they're aiming for, uh, uh, it looks so very different. Uh, pride is this, this weird uh, thing that can create this dichotomy in your life where pride can in, in one person make them feel so haughty, make them feel so much greater than everybody else. And then in another person, pride ripped them down so much that they just live with obsessive insecurities. Uh, pride is, is, is it, it doesn't have a, a singular motive. It's not just about power. It's not just about control. It's not just about being seen as great. It's not just about hungering after glory. It's not just about this or that. This is why the Roman Catholic Church for a thousand years after seeing all the sins and the dark ages and the most evil, wicked things that humanity could possibly do, they deem pride being the greatest of all the sins. C.S. Lewis uh, came in in our lifetime or in our century, uh, and he said, listen, pride definitely is the greatest of all sins, but one of the reasons pride is the greatest of all sins is because he believed that pride was the foundation for every other sin. Pride is this just crazy, deep, dark thing that silently moves about our life, altering and elevating different aspects of our life. And I want you to know where pride enters in. Because this was something that I struggled with. This is something that I desired to know. Where does pride show up? When does it enter into our life? Yes, we're born into sin. It's probably there pretty early on just by the nature of sin in itself and our fallen you know, flesh self. But what actually is pride? What's at the core of pride? What's at the foundation of pride? And if you go through and you study, it's always going to come back down to this. Pride will enter your life when you believe lies about God lies about yourself, and lies about everything else in between. Pride began to work in Satan's life when he began to believe maybe God isn't worthy of all the worship, and maybe I'm worthy of just a little bit of it. Eve began to believe maybe God isn't all good. Maybe he is holding something back from me. And this is where pride enters into our life and becomes present. Pride at its core are lies we believe about God, lies we believe about self, and lies we believe about everything in between. 
It's from this foundation, it's from this, 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 this belief that pride begins to rule and dominate in our life. And this is the problem with pride. Pride absolutely will not stop. In the book of Proverbs, uh, uh, in Proverbs 30, they, they bring up different aspects of pride and haughtiness. And then following, immediately following this, uh, the writer uh, compares these things to the four uh, un- insatiable, unsatisfied uh, things, the grave, uh, the barren womb, uh, land that is not satisfied with water and fire that never says enough. Uh, he, he paints the picture that this is what pride does in so many different ways in our life, that there is no ending to pride. Pride will create an insatiable need and desire and wants in our life in so many different ways, and there's nothing that will ever satisfy it. Uh, that's why someone like Nebuchadnezzar could rule all the known world, have all the wealth, have all the power, and still, despite after being warned by the mouth of God himself, still just had to proclaim, I did this by my own might. There is no end to pride in our life. And I'm going to look really fast at the four things that pride alters and elevates. The first thing is your focus. So I want to look at how does these two fishermen, how do these two disciples, these two brothers get to a place where they are convinced uh, that they are entitled to be the second most powerful people in the universe and that Jesus would then give that to them. How do you get to that place? The first thing when pride begins to move in your life, it's going to move in your mind and it's going to change your focus and it will convince you. It will addict you to what I'm labeling as self-focus, and then it will slowly convince you. Remember, it alters and it elevates. It will alter your focus till you are focused completely on self, and then it will elevate that self-focus up until you are the most important person in your mind. And over time, your needs, your wants, your desires, uh, they will be seen as the most important thing in your family, then in your social circles, uh, then in your, your work group, your coworkers, uh, then just in general, in your general area, and then eventually all the way up to the world because there is no end to pride. There, there, nothing will satisfy it. In your own mind, you will become so self-focused that pride will elevate you where you will become more important than everyone else around you. And it's not going to stop. It's not going to change. You can see this right here at work uh, in this moment. Somewhere along the lines, these two brothers, and we know them from the other scriptures, uh, from the other uh, account of this, that they had some help from their mom. Uh, but these two brothers, eventually, they, they, they began to believe that this whole thing, this whole thing, that this Jesus thing, this whole thing, this whole gospel thing, this whole kingdom of heaven thing, this whole disciple thing, this whole following Jesus thing, even Jesus himself, this whole thing, it's about my benefit. It's about what I can get. And this is, I want you to understand when, when pride begins to uh, uh, alter your focus to be self-focused, you will, you will walk and live in the, in the sentence Uh, that they said to Jesus. They said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You need to write this down because this is one of the greatest warnings of pride. This is one of the first places you'll see it. You will walk around, talk, live in every way, shape, or form. Your life will be about give me what I want. Give me what I want. You will wake up every day to work towards the thing that you want. Your worst days will be when someone doesn't give it to you. People who are your friends are the people that will continually give you the things that you want, whatever that may be, whatever that may look like in your life. Your enemies will be the ones that prevent it from you. 
The good and the bad will all be defined in how they play a part in giving you what you want. You will be so self-focused. Uh, you will be so elevated in your own mind. Uh, you will be convinced that the world at the end of the day is about you getting what you want. In that same parable, or in that same uh, proverb, in Proverbs 30, he begins the, the, those comparables by saying, there is a leech who has two daughters, and their names are give, give. This is what pride does. Give me what I want. Give me what I need. Give me the attention I deserve. Give me the credit I deserve. Give me, give me, give me. Give me the wealth I'm entitled to. Give me the position that I need. Give me the promotion that I want. Give it to me. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm great. Tell me, tell me I'm the most beautiful person in the room. Tell me, that's never been a worry for me. Tell me, tell me, tell me I'm the greatest athlete. Tell me I'm, tell me I'm the greatest. Tell me I'm the strongest. Give me the attention. Give me the control. Give me the control I need of my family. Give me the control I need of my kids. Give me the control I need of the staff people around me. Give me the control of the people I go to school with. Give me the control. Give me the likes on Facebook. Give me the attention I need. Give me that new, little, that new little heart with a smiley face in the heart, the care one that I always, that's my new favorite one. It's a smiley face hugging a heart. It's kind of weird, but that's, that's what it is. Give me all the smiley face hearts. Comment on, tell me how great I am. Tell me that you like my post. Tell me that I'm important. Tell me this, tell me, give me, give me, give me, give me. This is what you focus. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm great. Give it to me. Whatever I want, whatever I need to think, that's what life is about. Give me, give me, give me, give me. All the way up to the point that these two brothers made the entire arrival of Jesus Christ, the coming of the kingdom of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit on the earth, the gospel itself became about them. That's what pride does. First, you become the most important person in your own mind. And eventually, in your own mind, you become the most important person in the universe. The second thing pride does is it, it, it will alter and elevate your perspective of everybody else around you. This is a significant one. Because in time, because you become so great in your own mind, you know, you're, you're the godsend. You know, you're, you're the one everybody else is lucky to know you, right? You achieve anything you put your mind to. You're great in every way. You're successful. You're on your way to being this great thing. Everything is about getting what you want, getting what you need. You deserve it on some level. You're entitled to it on some level. The problem with it, as you move, whether that's power, glory, control, attention, whatever, you fill in the blank, whatever, whatever it looks like in your life, as you move through it, eventually, because you become the most important person around, you're elevated in your own mind over everybody else, eventually, everybody else will now exist simply to give you what you want. So your perspective of others, it lifts you up above them in your own heart, your own mind, your own eyes, and it lowers them down. Now they exist for you to serve you, to like you, to give you what you want, you immediately, without doubt, you will become greater than them. It will bother you. And you can start to spot some of this stuff. It will bother you when the people around you uh, don't give you what you want. It will bother you uh, when, when you, you, you'll, you'll constantly be looking uh, for, for the people around you uh, to whatever feeds you, whatever it is that you think that you need. 
and this is the, the end of this, and I, there's more on this, and we're actually going to talk about this later in this series. But eventually, this is the part I really want to really hold on to. Eventually, as pride works in your life, there is no one in your life, including God himself, who is not on a practical level there to serve you and to give you what you want. And, and I, I want you to look at, at the, what they're asking. This is the thing the Lord just kind of put in my heart. They said, I want to sit on your right and I want, I want to sit on your left. I want to sit on your right and I want to sit on your left. Their eyes were on the right and the left of Jesus, but they weren't on the throne of Jesus himself. The way that you need to start processing is that if you go through your, your relationship with God and your prayers for God and the things that you desire and the things that you want, and Jesus is more about uh, giving you something than he is about just worshiping him before you, this is pride working in your life. When your prayer time, as you meditate, as you study, if you are asking more from God than you are simply worshiping him, this is pride moving in your life. It's not about Jesus sitting on the throne to be worshiped. It's about Jesus sitting on the throne to give you. He now has the power and the ability to give you the things that you want and you need. It's not about the will. I don't want to get too far. The third thing it does is pride alters and elevates the desires themselves. So I want you to understand as, as it begins to realign your focus and alter your focus where you become self-focused, your needs, your wants, your desires, they become more important than everybody else's. And this is how you just kind of move through life. Completely focused on self, focused on what makes you feel good, focused on your emotions, focused on what you're going through, focused on you getting the attention and you being encouraged and focused on you, 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 you. But ultimately, he will start, the pride will start to, to influence the desires and the wants themselves. And this is the, one, of the, one of those warning signs where you can start to see, if you aren't satisfied with where you are and what you're doing right now, you need something else to be satisfied, pride is working in your life. Because you don't know the truth about Jesus. You don't know the truth about yourself and your need for Jesus. And if you knew that and you, there was humility present there, you knew that Jesus was Jesus and you believed that with all your heart and you knew that he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And just at the mere mention of his name, that you should bow down and worship him and confess him as God, you would be fully satisfied in him. And so if you find yourself lacking satisfaction in life, this is the curse of pride. You lack satisfaction in your relationships. You lack satisfaction in your singleness you lack satisfaction in your work you lack satisfaction in your positions you lack satisfaction across the board over and over and you still need something else to have joy something else to have peace something else to have happiness you have Jesus but they're still you're still not happy you still don't have peace this is pride existing moving and actually already dominating your life because as you look towards Jesus you aren't looking at Jesus you're looking to the right and to the left you're not satisfied with the desires of your heart. You're not, this, these guys, they, they're going to inherit their father's business, their fishing business. Uh, they, they then get recruited to follow Jesus. They're going to be a major part of this thing. But none of this, including Jesus himself, brought them any satisfaction. As they look to the future, their 
eyes kept going, what is the most powerful position? What is the highest position of honor? What is going to give me the most control? What is going to give me the most glory? What is going to give me the most wealth? What is going to give me the most attention? And it was that that they came to Jesus. God, give us what we want, and what we want is to be the second most powerful. And you know what, God? Because we're humble, we'll just take the second most powerful position, and we'll still let you hang out on the throne. It will not stop altering and elevating your desires. There's no limit to what you believe you will be entitled to. There's no ending. No matter what you get, it will never be enough. No matter how many friends you have, no matter how many likes you get on posts, no matter how many successes, no matter how high you climb, no matter what you produce, how much you achieve, how much money's in the bank, there will never be satisfaction because pride like fire, as long as it's present, it will burn up everything around you. It will never say enough. Like the grave, there's always room for more. This is pride. It will elevate your desires. It will alter them. It will shift them. It will always take you off of Jesus and move you in many other directions. And then it'll just, no matter what you get, what you achieve, there'll always be something more your eyes will be focused on. And because of that, you will live one miserable life. Ultimately, the fourth thing, and this is the deadliest thing, as he's, oh, pride is altering and elevating all of this, eventually it's going to elevate the perspective of yourself. So early on, you start realizing you're better than everybody else around you. You've arrived more. You're, 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 you're more righteous. You're wiser. You're smarter. You've got things more figured out. You don't really need their help. Things are just different from you. You just, you're entire, everybody else has kind of got rules that they need to go through, but not you. There's just a level of control that you're entitled to. I mean, you just go, go down the line, whatever it is that, that you know, whatever, whatever your choice of prideful drugs there, because there's a bunch. Whatever it is, immediately it's going to put you above everybody else. But eventually, eventually it won't just be you being raised up around better than everybody else. The perspective of yourself will become delusional. You will, you will become strong in every way, shape, or form. You will become smart in every way, shape, and form. Uh, you'll become, uh, there, there won't be really be weaknesses, and if there are, there's always an excuse as to why. You don't really need any kind of discipline in your life or any kind of uh, 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 advancement. You, you've fully arrived. You're fully advanced. You don't need to be corrected, really. Uh, you, you've kind of got it covered. Uh, there's just this, this sense of, of self as you, as you go up, you, you, you have the ability to just, you're just so high in your own mind. Nothing can really tear that down. The problem though, and this is where I'm going to start shifting in, into the, the, what needs to be humbled about us. The problem with all of this though, and I, I want to remind you, Jesus asked them a question. He said, can you handle what I'm going to go through? You think you, have, you think you have what it takes to sit next to the, you think you, you can walk through what I'm, you think you're on my level, basically? And they're like, yeah, we can. we can, we can totally handle it. We have no idea uh, what you're talking about, really, because you haven't really told us yet, but I'm pretty confident, right, James? Yeah, John, we can handle it. Completely out of this delusional. They believed in themselves. They were so powerful. They were so strong. They were so smart. They were this. They were that. You fill in the blank, whatever. They were so beautiful. Uh, they were so you know, good at business. There's some people, the, the most prideful thing in your life is your addiction to your own humility. 
Like you, you've created this, this thing in your life where you're just so quiet and, and, you, and you don't want to speak and you don't want to go and you want to appear to be humble. Your, your biggest addiction of pride is appearing to be humble and you're so far from it. I mean, you fill in the blank. That's the problem with pride is it, it's got so many different ways it plays out in our life. But ultimately, it will change the perspective of yourself so much that you will feel entitled and enabled to do anything and everything your heart desires, despite whether or not it's the will of God, the purpose of God, the wise thing or the right thing or what will give God glory or what is truly good for yourself. If, if, if you got lost in anything else, I, I don't want you to lose this. This is, this, is the, this is the big one. This is the main one. This is the one where we're driving to. Ultimately, pride will alter and elevate your perspective of yourself until you get to a place to where you feel entitled and enabled, meaning you have the ability. You feel entitled and enabled to go after, chase after, achieve, accomplish, or do anything your heart ever desires, despite that thing being in or outside the will of God, despite that thing being in or outside the purpose of God, despite that whether it's going to give God glory or not, despite whether or not it's even for your own good or not, or it's right or wrong, or it's wise or foolish. None of those things matter. You believe you're entitled and you're enabled to do anything that pops in your brain, pops in your heart. You live with the notion of it wouldn't be there. I wouldn't think it if it wasn't right, if it wasn't accurate. And we get so prideful, and I'm just going to be honest with you really fast. We get so prideful that we will begin to elevate up our own thoughts about life, that to equal of God, especially Christians, because we'll say, well, God, I wouldn't be thinking that if God didn't put that in my mind. And, and, and if it's not, oh, he'll stop me. The fact that I'm continuing with it doesn't matter whether or not he tries to speak through someone else's life because there's no one else on your level to correct you. Oh, Lord, no. It doesn't matter what situation you get brought into to try to humble because you're just a conqueror. You're just going to overcome. You're just going to keep going. This is one of the most dangerous places a believer, anybody, but definitely a believer can ever get to. I'm entitled to and have the ability. I'm entitled and I am able to chase after, go after, achieve, and do whatever I want. And because I follow Jesus, God's job is to straighten the path that I want to go down and to protect me on the way and to fulfill my will. That's why God exists. You would never say it like that, but in so many ways, this is the way we think, and this is the way we live. And it's these things, and for the abundantly, I hope, obvious reasons, why God has to humble us before we throw our life away chasing those things we think we are entitled to and enabled to go after. And God loves us so much that he will, he will humble us. And I, I want to tell you, if the foundation or the core of pride is lies that we believe about God, lies we believe about self, and lies we believe about everything in between, 
Humility is the acknowledgement of truth and then aligning our lives around that truth. Here's the problem, though, is you will only know the truth if it is given to you by God. And you aren't looking for it because pride's already convinced you if there is truth, you already have it. This is why God has to humble us. This is why we can't humble ourselves. And this is the way that God has always done it. I want to take you to a scripture in Deuteronomy 8. This is, this is uh, Moses reminding uh, the people of why God did what he did through the desert. The whole 40 years in the desert basically comes down to just a few sentences. And when we read these sentences, what we will see, we'll see the two things that the humbling process have and the desperation of why we need them. This is what he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep your commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, I led you in the desert these 40 years for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to humble you. And being humbled, is there's two components to it. Being humbled, the first is to expose in your heart those things that are messed up, to expose those, those lies that you believe to be true, to expose the things that you're leaning and depending on that you shouldn't, to expose the thoughts that, you, that should not be existing there, to expose the dependency uh, that you have on yourself and on your past and on politics and on all these other different things. Uh, when God comes to humble you, the first thing is it says that he tests you so that you can see what's in your heart. I want you to understand God already knows what's in your heart. When he humbles you, it's not so he can find out what's in your heart. It's so that he can expose to you what is already in your heart and present so that he can break that out, bring it to the light and crush it. And the second thing is to teach you something. It's to replace that lie with truth. It's to teach you something new about himself, something new about yourself, to give you revelation, to open up something, because th this, is the, this is the reality. Uh, I want you to put your, in this specific thing, put your, yourself in the position of the people of Israel. They'd been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. The only things they knew was working and eating. That's it. Think about it. That's all they knew. Working and eating for 400 years. Work and eat. Work and eat. That's it. You work and you eat. Food is significant in their life and in their minds. And this is the thing through the 40 years that they complained about the most, that they rebelled against Moses and Aaron the most, that they rebelled against God the most. Almost everything that they, they rebelled against more than anything else was just the mere fact that they didn't have the food that they believe life was all about because all they knew was working food. So a huge portion of their life, life is about food. Life is about eating. Life is about surviving. Life is about getting. This is what it is. We've got to eat. We got the fish and we got the garlic and we got the vegetables and we got this stuff and we got that. And Egypt provided that for us. And they were constantly addicted to food. And so God had to come in and humble them and expose uh, this deep, dark thing in their life and then teach them that it's not just about food. 
and that you don't need Egypt and that you don't actually need any food. In fact, I want to show you that I am so much more powerful than mere food. I will feed you in the desert. It says that he led them in the desert, caused them to hunger in a place there was no food, and then he provided manna to prove to them and to show them, I am God, and I am greater than Egypt. I am stronger than Egypt. I will provide more and greater than Egypt. You're in the middle of a desert. There is no food. You can't go get it on your own. I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to reveal to you. I'm trying to break you down so that you understand who I am and who I am as God, your provider, and you need me. I can feed you when there is no food. My word, my power, my strength, my law, everything I am is more powerful than anything you've ever known, anything you've ever seen, anything you've ever experienced. And if you will just shut your mouth for a few seconds and you will understand the reality of what's taking place is you are in a desert and there has been no food for 40 years, yet I have kept you alive and you have thrived and you haven't aged and you're close haven't worn out and your shoes haven't worn out and I've provided water out of rocks for you and I've thrown in pigeons uh, and quail from all around uh, the world that I have provided for you that I am God I'm the provider he says for 40 years I humbled you to expose the absurdity in your heart and I created this is the thing I want you to I created hunger in your life positioned you where there was no food And then when you got desperate, I provided for you to break you free from the deceit and the dependency of Egypt so that you could see the glory and the power of the God who saves you and provides for you. This is the humbling process. This is what it looks like, and it will never look any different. God will take you through seasons in your life. For all of us that want to be humbled, For all of us who want to be rid of the pride that's so difficult for us to see in our life. For all of us that want to walk in that place with God and get to that place in God. You need to understand that in order to do that, God's going to take you through a process. That process may be 40 years. That process may be four weeks. That process may be four days. That process may be one hour. It depends on what area of life he's going after. It depends on where you are in your walk with the Lord. When I was younger, it would take the Lord a year sometimes to teach because I was so foolish and I was so arrogant and I was so lost in myself. And I've been through the process so many times now. When I start to feel it, I'm just like, oh, dear God. And I, I, get, I get to the room and I'm like, listen, I'm here. I, I feel you. I get it. This is your hand. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Let, just humble me. I don't need to go through the hell on earth I went through in the past. I do believe in time it becomes shorter. But this is the thing. I'm, I'm just going to speak this to you, and I'm just going to this process. The reason he doesn't do it all at once is because you can't handle it, and that he'll do it over and over and over in your life. And maybe, maybe we can live in this life with no pride. I don't know. I'm not there yet. I've not really met anybody that's there. In some of the greatest. Uh, at least in our last few generations, including Billy Graham, Ravi Zacharias, who just passed away, some of the greats uh, in our generation, all of which were in their dying years, saying, no, pride's still a struggle, and God still has to humble me. So you maybe can get there. I'm not there yet. They didn't get there. So I, this is, I think the power of this is to understand that the humbling process is a part of our relationship with Jesus. 
It's a part of exposing more and more things and deeper and deeper things to get them out of our hearts so we can have more and more freedom and be more and more like Jesus. That in many ways, it's the humbling process that is a huge portion of that transformation that takes place from sinner to the image of Jesus, from glory to glory, from nature to nature. That this is the way that it happens. And I not, the people I feel sorry for the most are the believers that are sitting here reading this or watching this right now and you have been convinced, oh, I've been through that thing, <laughs> nailed it, and now I'm good. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to face something probably pretty soon just for thinking that thought. In God's love, he's going to humble you, and I want you to be ready for that. I don't want us to be upset. I don't want us to be sad. This is not, this, listen, this is not a negative thing. This is not even a hard message. This is a message of hope and joy. This is a message of saying, hey, you have cancer, but God has the answer. This is saying, this, this, this is the thing that brought down Satan. This is the thing that brought sin into the world. But God says, I love you so much, I'm not going to let it hang on to you. I'm not, I'm not, Jesus died for my son, died for your sins, and I am not going to stop till I rid you of it and I free you from it. He's going to convince you, not just, not just you're not in control. He's going to convince you of that, not just for your sake. He's going to convince you of that so you can enjoy the freedom of God being in control. He's not just going to free you from that, that need for power or honor or glory. He's going to free you from it so you can enjoy the power of what happens when God is fully in your eyes and in your mind, the one, only one worthy of glory, honor, and power. That he's going to set you free, not just because he doesn't want you to fulfill your will and be this image of what you've created yourself to be, but so that you can enjoy the amazingness and the power of being who God created you to be. This is the place where I've got to in my life, is I know now beyond the shadow of a doubt, whatever God's will for my life is, that is going to be what is best for me, no matter what that may look like. Maybe for the first time in my life, I don't really care which way I go as long as I'm with Jesus and Jesus is leading me. And that is the truth. And so there's a part of me that has prayed every day for years, though I've hungered for humility. And I prayed, oh God, humble me, oh God, humble me, oh God, humble me. But for the first few years, I didn't really realize what I was asking for. What I was really asking for was God, bring some hell into my life for a couple of weeks. So you can rid me of this horrible self and free me into living under your power, your honor, your glory, your control, your will, and your peace and your joy. This is what God is going to do out of love. Just like the people of Israel, James and John had to go through it. He's going to take you into a desert. He's going to create a need in your life. He's going to walk you through something, and it's not going to feel good. But he's doing it to get rid of something in your life and to teach you something about himself, to give you a revelation about who he is. He's going to expose, and he's going to teach. And sometimes that can be just in a message like this, but most of the time it's a process. Most of the time it is a circumstance. It is a situation. It is a part of our life. So I need you to lean on these two or three realities. One God loves you so much. And he promises you, even the people of Israel, he said, I'm going to discipline you out of love because I'm your father and I'm a good father. That's number one. Number two, he's preparing you for greatness in the future. Maybe not even in this life. Not that you're going to be great, 
but just for the life that you're supposed to live. The life under the glory of Jesus Christ, a life living for Jesus Christ. He's going to discipline you because he loves you and he cares about you and he's involved in your life. He's not going to let you go. And number two, he's preparing you for the future. Maybe it's next week. Maybe it's 10 years from now. Maybe it's eternity. But when he's doing this, he's doing this to prepare you. And number three, he is doing this so that you will eventually be transformed from glory to glory, the Bible says, into the image of Jesus Christ. And in that, the closer that we get to that in this life, the more power and joy and peace that we have. I can't over-exaggerate the beauty that comes from being fully transformed. I'm not there yet, but I hunger for it as I read about those who are so much farther along than me in Scripture. Just the freedom and the power. I want you to know that God's moving in your life that he is in control and that he might walk you out into the desert soon, but it's not to kill you. It's to save you and it's to bless you abundantly in this life and in the next. God wants you. He wants you. Listen, and this is what I'm going to end on. There's going to be so many people who don't go to church and don't know my heart and they're going to twist this and they're going to talk about it. But I want you to understand everything God did in the desert was about preparing them and moving them into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey and all the blessing and all the good things. God will humble you for your own good. And let's, as a church and as a people, let's get excited because we have a God who loves us and who desires us to be in the promised land, to experience those good things, and he's not going to let anything stop us from getting there, not even ourselves. So my prayer for myself and for you is that God starts to humble us even more and even greater. And I want you to know what that means. And I would encourage you, if the Lord has spoken to you in any way through this message, as I pray, would you pray this prayer with me? That God would humble us and that we're willing, desiring, in fact, to go through whatever desert he has for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, right now that you would just fill every single room, God, with your spirit and with your presence. God, I pray this very real prayer, this genuine prayer with desire, God, with joy, and with excitement, with expectation in my heart, Father, I pray, Lord, humble me. Humble us, God. Drive pride far from us. God, the lies that we believe about you and about self and everything in between, God, expose those things. God, knock us down. Father, create that hunger in us until there's nothing around us except for you to fill us back up. Father, empty us so that we can be filled up with you, God. Now pray, Lord, humble us. Take us through the desert, Father God. Take us into the situations. Take us into the circumstances, God. We are hungry for you, Father. We're ready and we're willing, God. We don't know all the pride we're dealing with because it's so good at hiding. Father, we're not sure where humility exists, God. We're not, we're not, we don't have hardly any of the answers to any of the questions except we know that you are our Father, that you died and gave us life. And it's your desire for us to be in your will, God, to fulfill your purpose in this life, God. And so we are coming before you, Lord, and we are praying, oh God, humble us. 
Humble us, Father, in every way, shape, or form. Humble us, God, so that we will be transformed into your image, so that we will live the life you called us to live, that we will be in your will, that we will fulfill your purpose, and that we will in this life and in the next, Father God, live in your promised land, God, living the life you created for us, God, being who you created us to be. I pray, Father, humble us, humble us, humble us, Father, in your holy, holy name, amen.